1: at
0: orderct.com slash easter24. If you had nine months to sort of take on practices, to take on disciplines in a community context, what sort of habits might you form that are the habits of of a follower of Christ?
1: Welcome to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. It's a podcast designed for church leaders desiring to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host, Oliver Hersey, and today we have the opportunity to talk to Dr. Paul Gutacker, a teacher, historian, writer, and leader who's committed to developing well-rounded followers of Christ in the university setting and beyond. Paul currently serves as the executive director for the Brazos Fellows at Christ Church in Waco, which provides college graduates a nine-month opportunity. That's right, a nine-month opportunity. Maybe you are a college graduate listening to this. You should tune in. It provides you with a nine-month opportunity to be formed through theological training, spiritual disciplines, vocational discernment, and life together. He's also a full-time lecturer in the history department at Baylor University. Paul, I'm very excited to speak with you today. It is an honor and a privilege. We welcome you to the Transforming Discipleship podcast and are so happy to have you on board. How are you doing?
0: I'm great, Oliver. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real privilege. I really love the the work you're doing and trying to equip church leaders to do discipleship. So thanks for having me. It's great.
1: It's our pleasure. And we get a chance to talk to all kinds of fabulous people and our producer. And if you've been listening to this series, you have met Kelsey before. Kelsey has been a participant as a Brazos fellow. Isn't that right? I mean,
0: that's right. Yes. Kelsey was part of our initial cohort of fellows. So she was a a pioneer. She helped us sort of figure out what we were doing. and, And she's a good friend. So it's great to have that connection.
1: It is so great to hear that. I know, um, Kelsey, we we think highly of her in smallgroups.com. She's been such an asset to all different components of what we're doing to equip ministry leaders. And so it's cool to hear that. And when she suggested we we connected with you, I got a chance to look at some of the work you've been doing. And uh, it really is. It really is discipleship on the ground level. And the fact that it's happening in a university setting is even more remarkable because I think we're watching Christianity fade a little bit. Bit, especially in the midst of our younger generations. But I want to start here. I want to start our conversation here, Paul. You know, I recently read a quote, and actually Kelsey drew my attention to it. It's from Dr. Hans Borsma about the Brazos Fellows. And he writes this about your program, and I thought it was such a concise and clear statement. He says, the Brazos Fellows is a trustworthy guide to lifelong discipleship. Brazos Fellows is a trustworthy guide to lifelong discipleship. The directors are devoted to Christ and model Christian commitment and scholarship in the church and in everyday life. Wow. That's a glowing endorsement from Dr. Borisma. And I'd love for you, Paul, maybe you could just start and give us a window into what this all looks like. I'm curious about things like the setup and what does life look like together and how do you study together? What does serving and worshiping together look like for this community of college graduates in the Brazos Fellows world?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So it's really a gift for Paige and I, Paige's assistant director, my wife, to do this work. It's It's been a wonderful thing to be a part of. So the fellows, um, they come here to Waco and we we try to really just go deep with them. There's this idea in the Christian tradition. I think Kelvin talks about it, Augustine talks about it, of double knowledge. The sort of knowledge of God and knowledge of self are actually linked. You know, you have to know something who you are to know God. You have to know who God is to understand, you know, who you are. And we we wanted to create a sort of space for young adults to grow in that double knowledge. And so what it looks like is some pretty rigorous study. We read classic texts from the church's tradition, texts of spirituality, of theology. That's so much fun because we're in Waco and we have Baylor University here where I teach. And we have a few dozen different grad students and faculty at Baylor who love what we're doing and teach and, and mentor in the fellowship. So there's a lot of study, but we're we sort of ask the question: what does it change to do that in the context of the church? This is not a purely intellectual enterprise. In other words, you know, we want this study to transform us. So we study together. But the other thing, and, and this kind of comes out in Hans Borisma's quote, is this idea of lifelong, you know, what sorts of formations stick? And here, you know, my own thinking has been shaped quite a bit by some of the recent conversation around, you know, Jamie Smith's work and others who have pointed out that it's not just about getting sort of our ideas in order, you know, that Christian discipleship is about the whole person. It's about the heart as well as the mind. And so we sort of asked the question, what are the habits that we want to try to instill. If you had nine months to sort of take on practices, to take on disciplines in a community context, what sort of habits might you form that are the habits of a a follower of Christ? And so, you know, a lot of the college students I talked to, I remember this when I was a college student, you know, not really great, college wasn't really great for forming disciplines, you know, for, regularly being in prayer and in the in word and, and these things. And part of that might just be because college is crazy, you know, and it's a hectic time, but it's also, I think, hard to will yourself into a habit. So the fellows commit to it, right? We're going to do this together. We're going to pray morning prayer together every day. We're going to agree to this sort of basic rule of life. And our hope is that this sort of rhythm of study part-time work that they do in town, prayer, and all centered in this sort of community life we share might actually lead to some habits that you can take with you that can be sort of lifelong habits of discipleship. There's nothing magic about it. There's nothing formulaic about it. It's just let's commit to prayer together, right? Let's share life together.
1: So how many fellows in a typical nine-month period do you have?
0: Yeah, it ranges. We sort of say the range is about six to ten We've been smaller cohorts so far. This year we have five, but it really means that we get to, you know, we fit around a table, right? So a lot of our learning is, you know, talking about a text around a table or sharing a meal and sort of sharing life and what God's up to in our life. So it's intimate, it's small scale. The idea is we're going to go deep, you know, and in that sense, we never have aspirations to grow beyond maybe 10 or 12 because. To really do this kind of work, it requires a a depth and intimacy. The sort of things you only get if you can kind of fit around a big table.
1: And do all of these fellows, the five fellows for this year, do they live together in an apartment, a home, or are they spread out? How does that look?
0: Yeah, they are spread out. We have sort of some of them together. Um, We have some families in, in our church community and in the Baylor community that have offered space. Some of them are living with grad students in town. So we don't share an actual home. But we, and especially in 2020, this is all, you know, we're, we're scrambling to find sure. ways to do this during the pandemic. But we come together quite a bit. We see each other pretty much every day of the week for prayer, for our class on Tuesday, Thursday mornings, for our weekly dinners on Monday nights. We worship together. So we're in and out of each other's lives. You know, we're not together all the time, but there is a sort of, it's a, it's a bit of a porous, I guess, community too, right? They're part of the church. They're part of the city. We try to be involved in those communities and not just sort of cloister together. But yeah, they do part-time work in Waco of various kinds. And and then we come together for the different parts of our program.
1: And to sign up for this program, I mean, is there a cost to it? Like if I want to become a Brazos Fellow, is there a program I pay to take part in? It's It's that good and I want to invest like this and experience it?
0: Yeah, there is a cost. We'd love, you know, we'd love for it to be free. It's it's about $5,500 for the year and that includes all the retreats and all the programming and we try to keep it on the lower end. That's uh, really
1: low. That's really low. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: we well we hope so. We want it to be something that would be financially, you know, responsible. We want someone to be able to come to Waco and work a part-time job and do this and not go into debt or have it be a financial strain. So our hope is we, we do some fundraising on the side. We have some other sources of support for the fellowship that kind of make it work that way.
1: You've said a couple things that I want to come back to. One of them is the idea of you have nine months and you've processed, like, what habits do we want to see instilled in our group and the people here. And I'm sure that ebbs and flows and might look different each year, but, you know, give us a rough idea of how you've thought through that a little bit and how you go about implementing a process where maybe you can cultivate space for that to happen.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, a lot of this started because my wife and I had mentors in undergrad and in grad school who just shared life. You know, they were the kind of professor's who their teaching was great, but what was really transformative was the question they asked about what was going on with our family back home or the, you know, the conversations we had after their kids finally went down to sleep at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., which now that we have two young kids, I realized, wow, that was a sacrifice. But, the, you know, the, the sort of the real deep formative stuff often is not in the formal classroom. And so we were interested in what it would look like to, to set up something that is academically rigorous, does involve a lot of thinking, and a lot of reading together, but but allows that to be integrated with the rest of life. And in terms of the spiritual disciplines, you know, we're part of, we're I'm actually a ministry of Christ Church Waco, which is an Anglican church in the ACNA here in Waco. But most of our fellows aren't actually Anglican. They come from all sorts of denominations and backgrounds. But for us, we said, what would it look like to sort of take a classic Christian practice, like praying morning and evening prayer, which is one of the gifts I think of the Anglican tradition to to all Christians.
1: You, you use the Book of Common Prayer, I'm assuming. Yeah,
0: yeah, and so I mean, it's just so much scripture, right? And we're we're steeped in the the you know the lectionary readings walk us through the story of Scripture. And so, what would it look like to just take on this discipline for nine months? Maybe it's not something that you'll do exactly that way for life, but to do it in a community, you know, you're going to be doing it the days you don't feel like doing it and the days you do, the days where you're struggling to pay attention and the days where it's really hitting you hard and and it's all part of the process. So in terms of the disciplines, that was obvious. And then Sabbath was really important to us to emphasize to a practice of rest. I, and I think this is one of the areas where, unfortunately, the church just tends to mirror culture and we find ways of using Christian categories or spiritual language to justify essentially being workaholics, you know, and people who are defined by our productivity. And, you know, if it's productivity for for the sake of the gospel or something, we feel, I think, better about it. But there's something, I think, that's really fundamental to remembering that God is God, that we are creatures, that the gospel is not about our productivity, that you can talk about and think about, but unless you actually, you know, rest and discipline yourself to, to rest, there's a contradiction, I think. And so, so Sabbath practice and prayer, and then a few other things they do some spiritual direction and some other things that sort of seek to sort of grow this double knowledge.
1: I wanted to also touch on that double knowledge when yeah. you said earlier, I I love this concept of knowing ourselves helps us know God better. Knowing God helps us know ourselves mm-hmm. better. It takes us back to what the scriptures teach us about being made in God's image and how, of course, there'd be this deep connection. And as you said it, I thought to myself of what Jesus talks about when he says, you know, the, the two greatest commandments are to love God. Mm-hmm. And then he says to love your neighbor as yourself. And mm-hmm. it struck me that like, oh, yeah, like, Our self, our story is so important to understanding God as well as understanding how to love another. And if we can't love our story and love what God has done in our own lives, it'll be difficult to love the enemies and the difficult people out in this world well, the way God invites us to and challenges us to. And so I guess my question to you is story is so important, right? The self Mm -hmm. is so important take us through how maybe you are able to help these Brazos fellows get in touch with themselves, get in touch with their story.
0: Uh, Great question. And I think you're exactly right to connect that to the commandment. You know, I think that's exactly right. We try to sort of approach it from a couple angles because not everything works for everybody, you know, and we have different personalities and backgrounds, different baggage, you know, um, that people might come into uh, the fellowship with. So one of the broad big picture ways is that the course of study itself is actually a lot about the story of the church. So like, where are we, you know, what has Christ been doing through his people and where, you know, where do we fit into that story? So we really try, I mean, it's a lot of sort of history of Christianity and trying to understand our own moment in light of that longer story, because that that big picture is then part of how we answer. So like, who am I? Right. And, you know, learning to think, Critically, for the first time, about some things that shape our modern moment and our culture, and things that we sort of breathe in the air, is a way of actually recovering sort of who we're meant to be. But then, more specifically, for each fellow, they actually work with three mentors because we want to kind of come at this from several angles. So, they each have a tutor who uses a sort of Oxford University model of tutoring to help them explore their specific questions. Fellows that have asked questions like, What does it mean to pray? what does it mean that Christ is, is the reconciler? Uh, I think Kelsey studied hope in modern poetry. And so they each have a tutor who's typically a grad student at Baylor who, who just meets every few weeks with them and reads with them and sort of walks them deeper into that personal question. And then the other two mentor relationships they have is they work with my wife, Paige. She's a life coach. And she does a lot of the work on sort of design and, and strengths and sort of personality and helps them move forward through coaching skills to get a a sense of their particular, you know, design. Who did God make them to be? What, What gifts have they been given? What might they do to sort of cultivate those vocations that could come out of those? And then the third one is this spiritual direction, which is just a, it's a classic Christian prayer practice where a spiritual director sits with you and helps you be present to Christ's work in your life. You know, where is Christ? Where's Christ in the highs and the lows, the consolations, the desolations? Where do you feel drawn to him, far from him? And what I love about that is, I mean, those three things you could think, well, you know, maybe it's head and heart and spirit. I don't know. But they actually all relate. You know, the questions you ask come out of your hopes and your fears. And it's all connected. It is. Yeah. And we talk about vocational discernment too. And I'll just say one thing about that. Sometimes vocational discernment feels like I need to figure out the, the job that I'm supposed to do, you know, the career. And that's not entirely wrong. There's a sense in which, you know, hopefully you move towards some clarity in, in the kinds of things you might do for a living. But, you know, real vocational discernment, I think for Christians has to start with who am I in Christ? And the Christian vocation that I'm called to is to follow Christ. That's the primary thing. Anything beyond that, you know, should I be married or single? Should I take this job or go to this grad school? Whatever.
1: All secondary.
0: Yeah, they're so secondary. And we, you know, we tend to use the will of God language to talk about the secondary stuff when it's primarily in scripture about the calling of every Christian, you know? Mm And so, you know, we do talk about career things and discernment and decisions, but you know, and this is part of why it's a gift to be part of it is that's a question you're not done with when you're 23 or 25. That question of vocational discernment is one that a Christian of every age, every life stage needs to be asking and returning to. Yeah,
1: that's so good. You know, you mentioned Paige, your wife earlier, and you've alluded to how you guys have started this Brazos Fellows program. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit of what led you and your wife to do this. Was there a particular moment for you or you knew God had called you to serve young people in this way
0: yeah for sure some of it's what I said with you know with our own experience just the gift of mentors yeah who, who really poured into us and I think from our college years on we started to have this sense that that we wanted to do something like that we wanted to work with folks who have probably grown up in the church and they're entering adulthood and you know, it's becoming their own in a new way. And, and you know, those early years in your, in your college years, in your early 20s, I mean, I remember for myself, such pivotal years in learning to make sense of the family you grew up with, the life you had as a child, and then how that translates into who you are and what you're going to be now, right? And that can be really rocky for some people. There were some bumps along the way for me, and part of what made it stick, I think, is The presence of these these mentors who didn't have every answer, didn't have it all figured out, but were sort of willing to be there in the middle of it, you know.
1: What you just said is so critical for people to hear right now. I think there are so many people as pastor, I work with a lot of different kinds of people and I, I meet a lot of people who could be mentors. They're ready to be mentors, but they don't feel like they are equipped because they don't have the answers. These people that were around you that were your mentors, they didn't try to answer or solve or fix your things. They were just there. Isn't that yeah. Isn't that what this is about? Just being present and, and allowing Christ to use you to be present through you in the midst of others.
0: I think it is. I mean, I you know, I've done a bunch of education now, and that usually leaves you feeling like you know less than you thought you knew before, right? <laughs> and so I still feel like I don't have answers to a lot of things. But there's a there's a book that's really shaped me on this. One of our guest instructors from time to time is a professor here at Baylor, Alan Jacobs. And he has a, a wonderful little book called How to Think which is a kind of, you know, it's an embarrassing book to be reading in public because you look like that idiot. He doesn't even know how to think and you have to read a book about it, but it's a great book. You should, you, should, <laughs> you, should, you, should, you should read it. But, you know, Jacobs, he takes on some of these myths we have about what good thinking is. We have this cultural idea that good thinking is, like, think for yourself. Like, don't let anybody else tell you, right? Think for yourself. And sure. Jacobs says, like, that's just not possible, right? And if it were possible, it'd be bad, you know? We're meant to think socially. We're social creatures. And he says that means the question becomes, who should I think with? And the sort of implication for the church, I think, is what does it look like to be trustworthy people to think with? It doesn't mean, as you said, I I don't think it means we have all the answers perfectly nailed down. You know, we should be thinking about things, of course. But I think it means that you're a person who it's actually safe, you know, to think with, that, that you won't mislead intentionally that you, um, that you can be trusted and, yeah, uh, you know, judge somebody, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: that you're going to be honest about what you don't know, what you don't understand. That's quite a goal. It's, it's sort of a question we, in our community of tutors and instructors, we return to, are we being sort of trustworthy to think with? Are we, are we just trying to push people to make them exactly like us or to, to sort of avoid the hard questions? Or is this a community where Good thinking and honest thinking and conversation can happen. So, yeah, and I think you're right. I think that's the kind of mentor that's needed.
1: This episode of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast was brought to you by Smallgroups.com. It's a ministry of Christianity today. And I'm your host, Oliver Hersey. I'm a pastor in the Chicago area. And we want to thank all the ministry leaders out there who've tuned into this episode if you are finding this podcast helpful for your ministry we want you to do three things if you wouldn't mind first subscribe to our youtube channel second give us a five-star rating on itunes we always love getting good ratings and then finally you can subscribe to smallgroups.com today This podcast is also now available on Amazon Podcasts, and you can even get it on your Amazon Alexa device and other podcast platforms. If you want full access to smallgroups.com, you can subscribe today. We have all sorts of plans to meet your budget, and this will give you access to hundreds and hundreds of Bible studies and tools aimed to train you and your small group leaders and so much more. So until next time, my friends, God bless.